Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The first vote-by-mail ballots are hitting mailboxes, and the earliest in-person voting is underway. If you don't know how you're voting, this is the week to get your shit together. Visit votesaveamerica.com slash everylastvote to make your plan to vote. Remind everyone you know to do the same and donate to the Every Last Vote Fund to directly support the work of organizers and volunteers in key swing states that are actively working to battle disenfranchisement in communities of color. Support for Hot Take comes from the Southern Environmental Law Center and its podcast, Broken Ground, with the latest season focusing on the story of how a Black community on the outskirts of Memphis came together to beat the odds and defeat a crude oil pipeline. Here, people hailing from all corners of the city and beyond join together to fight the environmental injustices and threats posed by the controversial Bahalia Pipeline. Listen to their story, now available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hotcakes, it's Mary. I just wanted to drop in and bring in an update from Hurricane Ian. Um, So we taped our show on Monday before Hurricane Ian became the monster that we know it as now. Um, At the time, Fiona was the name on everybody's mind as it just ravaged Puerto Rico and swiped the Dominican Republic and was causing havoc all the way in Nova Scotia. Um, Mind you, as of now, Puerto Ricans are still struggling for clean water and electricity and still absolutely need our help. Uh, More than 300,000 people there are still without power today. Um, So those organizations we uh, suggest that you donate to in this week's episode, please do that if you are able. Um, But on Tuesday, Hurricane Ian made landfall in Cuba as a Category 3 and left that island in a complete blackout. Um, After Cuba, Ian got even stronger and was nearly a Category 5 storm when he made landfall in western Florida, uh, which is an area that hasn't seen a major hurricane, meaning Category 3 or above, since 1921. Um, That's more than 100 years. Um, There are unconfirmed reports that the death toll may be in the hundreds and the property damage is visually astounding. Millions of people are without power and roads to remote areas have broken down and that's going to have some serious implications for any rescue missions. So the storm has since been downgraded to a tropical storm, but it remains big and dangerous um, and it can spur all sorts of tornadoes and everything. We are not out of the woods. Plus this Now we have to deal with the aftermath. Ian is a historic storm, and the likes of it can change communities and regions forever. That is all to say that there's a whole lot of people who need a whole lot of help right now. So if you can, please consider donating to the mutual aid efforts on the ground. You can go to mutualaiddisasterrelief.org to plug in, and we have links in our show notes to an article with some other resources. Thank you all so much and take care. Hey, hot cakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Amy Westervelt. And I'm Mariana Hegler. This week, we're going to go over some of the headlines. Um, and Ooh. there's a lot of them. Ooh. We're going to talk about what's going on in U.S. climate policy. As I understand it, a very long bill um, yes. dropped last week. And Amy's read all of it because... <laughs> That's the type of stuff she does when she wakes up at night. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There have been these climate uh, disinformation hearings that I can't wait to talk about. Plus, like, something is rotten in Europe. And we're going to talk all about that. Yeah, ironically, not just in Denmark, which had some kind of good news this week. But the rest of Europe, pretty stinky. Pretty Actually, stinky. I have no idea what happened in Denmark this week. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Very cool. So without any further ado, you ready? I'm ready. It's time to talk about climate. Climate. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Ravensburger Puzzles. I don't think I've ever been so excited about an advertiser in my life because yes, I am a giant puzzle nerd. And Ravensburger makes the best puzzles as anyone who loves puzzles will tell you. I live in a place where we actually get pretty frequent power outages. <laughs> and, and when we do, I like to break out a puzzle. It's also a fun way to keep my kids off of their screens and do something sort of calm and meditative together. It's very satisfying when you snap that last piece into place. If you are looking for a calm and mindful exercise, I highly recommend checking out Ravensburger. Regardless of your preferences or skill level, you'll find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery, themes, and piece counts available. You can start small with a, a pretty straightforward puzzle and work your way up to over 40,000 pieces. Are you up for the challenge? Shop Ravensburger on Amazon today. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, Earth Breeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%, four zero, 40%. Go to drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E.com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription earthbreeze.com slash drilled. Let's start off talking about this permitting bill. So Ugh, this is yeah. how I understand things. In the negotiation of the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, the biggest climate bill in U.S. history, we all know the story, it was... Part of the deal was that Manchin would get to design another bill about permitting and permitting reform. And the other thing that people were saying in the passage of the IRA to environmental justice communities and people of color who were deeply, you know, hurt by the passage of the IRA and and worried, understandably so, was that we just have to make sure that it's equitably implemented. And so last week, Manchin released the Energy Independence and Security Act, basically the permitting reform bill, late on Wednesday night. And I hear it was just shy of a thousand pages. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. It's very long. I hate it when they release things at like, you know, 6 p.m., on yeah. a weeknight. It's rude. It's, it's usually like, you know, we don't really want people to read this closely. So here's what I understand is in it. It fast tracks the Mountain Valley pipeline and requires that all the permits for that pipeline be issued within 30 days. I also understand the Mountain Valley pipeline would equal 26 coal mines worth of greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. Yeah. So... First, did I get all of that right? And then also, can you talk about a little bit more about what the Mountain Valley Pipeline is and why people in Appalachia have fought so hard against it? Yes, you did get all that right. And I would add an, an, another element to the whole Mountain Valley Pipeline section of this reform in air quotes, Bill, is that it not only fast tracks and says, you know, you, can, you can't litigate any of this stuff anymore. It also says... If litigation, like outside of these permitting things, does come up, the federal government is going to dictate that 
this other district court takes that up instead of the one that's in their region, um, which is absolutely unheard of. I don't understand. Can you say that again? Yeah. Instead of being handled by circuit courts in West Virginia, this is saying that the federal government is dictating that the D.C. circuit court will take up any future litigation around the Mountain Valley Pipeline. That is extremely weird. It's extremely weird for the federal government to step in and dictate the jurisdiction of a legal argument. Hmm. It's also weird because the D.C. Circuit has not historically been super friendly to pipe to like pipeline or oil companies. So I, I don't really understand why that would be preferable. And it's also weird because the, you know, the West Virginia courts have not just been, you know, 100 percent against the pipeline company like as much as as the the mvp folks have kind of whined and complained and acted like they're just being totally victimized by this court the court has actually ruled in their favor a number of times too so like i i just don't get it it's also just like an incredibly weird slippery slope for the federal government to say We're not going to do any judicial review of any decisions made about this pipeline, meaning like you can't appeal this to any court. Mm -hmm. I saw one person online actually point out that like if something like that were to be implemented, that you could then theoretically like do that on on any number of laws. Like it's just it is just like the definition of a slippery slope. It's very, very bizarre. So, yeah. And then in terms of like being a slap in the face to Appalachia, I mean, all kinds of communities have been fighting this pipeline. Like it's it's really interesting because it's like, A, it goes across two states, West Virginia and Virginia, which is why Tim Kaine, like the milkiest milk toast of all centrist Democrats, has like <laughs> You suddenly, leave Tim Kaine alone. He's he a very found, nice man. Yeah, he suddenly like found a backbone and is like, I'm gonna fight this thing, you know, because it goes it goes across Virginia, too. You know, it's not just Joe Manchin's call. And the other thing that's really interesting is, is like, actually, in a lot of pipeline fights, you kind of have, you have, like, one frontline community, right, that's, like, or maybe a couple, but they're quite similar to each other. The Mountain mm-hmm. Valley Pipeline crosses so many disparate communities that don't usually get on the same side of a fight, <laughs> And they have, I mean, you've got like wealthy suburban white people, you have working class people, you have people of color, you have people of every, like every social, um, economic and racial demographic saying no to this pipeline. Yeah. Uh, So like, it's, uh, yeah. It's like, I just. The only people who want it live far, far away from it. Yeah. And then like. The people in Appalachia have been going through all of like the th- like structures that are available to them to say no to this pipeline. Like they have filed perfectly reasonable legal claims. They have fought the permitting for good reason. Like I don't know, it's just so it's it's so dispiriting to to actually like be going through all of the, you know, the the channels that are available to you as a citizen. And then to be told, none of that matters. We're going to ram it down your throats anyway. Yeah. This yeah. is, I mean, it's certainly not unique to them. This, this is happening all over the country. And I think it's really what is making frontline communities kind of be like, forget it. I'm not even going to try to deal with government. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, like, I just. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. 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 Let's talk a bit about who likes the bill and who doesn't like the bill. So seems like industry groups from the energy industry kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen the argument that, um, and this is true, we, de- we absolutely need permitting reform to enable, like, wide-scale, larger-scale deployment of renewables. However, that does not need to be married to a wish list of items for the fossil fuel industry. I don't understand why it's like like people keep kind of making this like 
Yeah. And a, you know, lose some to win some kind of argument, you know? Yeah. Like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I came across a quote that confused me. It was from uh, Gregory Whetstone, the chief executive of the American Council on Renewable Energy. And he said that it includes provisions that will help streamline the transmission approval process, improving our ability to meet our nation's decarbonization goals. Mm-hmm. And I was reading another piece this morning that was kind of like making the case that we need to we need to reform permitting process for the sake of renewables. Right. And it's just, it feels like a distraction. It's, it almost feels like a sleight of hand, right? So like, and I also, uh, the other thing I don't understand is why are fossil fuels and renewables going through the same permitting process any damn way? They're very different things. Well, it's because they both plug into the same grid. And that's the thing is it's like this is we're, what we're talking about when we're talking about transmission is like how electricity is transmitted from whatever source to people's homes, businesses, whatever. Right. And everyone agrees that like the transmission approval process in general needs to be improved because it's very cumbersome and it's very slow. But I do think there's a way to potentially streamline that process for renewables without doing a bunch of things like weakening NEPA. That's one of the things in this bill, too, the National Environmental Protection Act. Like they, they want to basically make environmental impact reporting period and comment period shorter. Well, in general, that tends to help the fossil fuel industry more than it helps renewables. Like there's a bunch of stuff. That was another thing was like, actually, I saw a lot of people saying, well, actually, the things that are in here that would erode some of the environmental protections are not the things that are historically obstacles to renewables getting permitted. <laughs> it's only the things mm. that are obstacles to fossil fuel projects getting permitted. So I just... I don't know. Basically, when it comes to permitting reform, I just don't believe that there's no way to improve it for renewables without also fast tracking a bunch of pipelines. And and I should mention, too, that the other thing in this bill, like Mountain Valley Pipeline isn't the only pipeline mentioned here. There's a provision in here that talks about uh, like approving, you know, 25 different pipeline projects. And then they're like, you know, Okay, sure, two of those could be renewable projects instead. Yeah. So uh, it's just a mess. It's a mess. The other thing I I wanted to ask you about is that I keep seeing that for the first five years or so, there's a certain amount of these projects that go through this permitting bill that are required to be fossil fuel projects. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Why would you require a new fossil fuel project? Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that what I would like to see, and I actually am seeing way more of this on this permitting reform bill than I saw on the IRA. Like, I I feel like actually even some of the people who, you know, kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well... Sometimes you have to, like, deal with some bad to get a bill passed on the IRA, right? Are now, are on this, are saying environmentalists really need to fight, like, you know, yeah. and progressives and Democrats and everything, like, really need to fight for, like, a, a positive version of, of permitting reform done right. Like, yes, we need permitting reform. Everyone agrees. This is not it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm seeing a lot more people... Saying that, and, I, and I'm even seeing people who started out saying, I don't care what bad things are in it. We need permitting reform so badly for the renewables section of the IRA to even happen that it's worth it, who have now kind of been convinced as they we've seen more and more on this bill to say, no, actually, mm-hmm. we can't do this. It sets too bad of a precedent and it locks in too many uh, fossil fuel projects. Um so yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Now, of course, this was all attached to the budget spending bill. I think that was a strategy to sort of try to force Democrats to vote for it. But not only were Democrats starting to say uh, no thanks, but a bunch of Republicans actually lined up against it. So on Tuesday night this week, 
they got ready for a vote and actually Manchin asked Schumer to take the permitting reform stuff out of the spending legislation. So for now, at least this version is dead in the water, but they've already said that, you know, they're looking to figure out when to, to bring it back for a vote on its own. And, you know, this is not, this isn't going to just go away. Hopefully, you know, they will be able to negotiate a, a better version of a permitting reform bill. This will be something to keep an eye on. But I also want to talk about some of the more fun stuff happening in Washington. <laughs> um, I understand yes. that there have been hearings. Yes, there's actually been a lot of hearings on climate recently. So last last week, there were three Two of them actually happened at the exact same time on the same day, which I was like, can you guys just wow. talk to each other? Just talk to each other once in a while. <laughs> like, why? Why? Just throw a party, okay? Like, it's both yeah. of your birthdays. Just combine the damn thing. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So um, Jamie Raskin and Katie Porter had hearings on Wednesday last week. Uh, Katie Porter's hearing was about the role of PR firms in climate disinformation. Jamie Raskin's was about how there uh, was about like corporate backed attacks on environmentalists, especially with respect to free speech. So that was super interesting, like really kind of looking at the anti-protest bills and also these lawsuits that fossil fuel companies and other extractive industries have been filing against green groups for organizing protests. And then on Thursday, the House Oversight Committee had its third hearing on climate disinformation in general, which was super interesting because they subpoenaed uh, various documents from the oil companies last year. And this was the first time that they've made some of those documents publicly available. And they talked about them in this hearing and they were quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just go ahead and talk about the one where Shell was visibly or at least verbally upset about getting trolled on Twitter for their little personal responsibility poll. So they for, were. So yes. folks who aren't extremely online and freakishly stalking fossil fuel companies on Twitter, basically what happened was that Shell was having some sort of like online and in-person climate summit, which already you kind of know. And they tweeted out a poll basically about what are you going to do to stop climate change? And they did this the day before the U.S. election in 2020. Mm-hmm. People were on edge, including me, who... <laughs> who was very deep in my green trolling bag at the time and yeah everybody went after them from ALC to Greta Thunberg like everybody jumped down their throats because we needed a target that day and they decided Mm -hmm. to be it they volunteered themselves as tribute and it was a great time and these emails show that (laughs) Shell was shook from the inside Yeah, there's actually like quite a few emails running around, including like with the president of Shell America is like having discussions about the fact that Twitter is erupting, you know, about their poll. And there's this, there's one, I have to read you one. There's one from this guy who's like, I'm an old guy, help me out. What the heck is gaslighting? Oh, I remember that actually. Yeah. And then another, Another guy says, I'm old too, but as I understand it, gaslighting is a millennial term for manipulating a person's emotions, causing them to question themselves instead of you. It is, frankly, a criticism not totally without merit in this case, Mm. (laughs) though I would never say that in mixed company. These are emails within Shell? Within Shell. Within Shell. Not tweets. Oh, God. Because I could have swore somebody tweeted that what is gaslighting thing. Yeah. And then then he says, we are, after all, in a tweet like this, implying others need to sacrifice without focusing on ourselves. Self-awareness right there. A little bit of awareness from, from Shell. But yeah, they're like, you know... You know, there's like a Friday night email that's like, oh, like, heads up, this is this is gaining some steam. And, you know, I don't recommend that we engage with this. Like, let's just ignore it for now. And I mean, like, there are a few days worth of emails going back and forth. So just, you know, for people that are like, oh, 
the poor intern monitoring Shell's Twitter account. Oh, like, my god! The actual president of Shell America is like, what are we doing about all this heat on Twitter? <laughs> the know? president of Shell who makes a shit ton of money and some very powerful decisions <laughs> and does not deserve yes. your pity. No. There is no, no intern running the Twitter at Shell. Right? Yeah. Like... An intern doesn't run the Twitter at most environmental nonprofits. So I guarantee right. you the fossil fuel companies have a fucking team and some consultants and a very highly paid staff doing this. Trust me. That's right. Do. That's right. That's right. I also want to read you a statement from Shell. This is like their operations people are emailing each other back and forth like this just to me says so much about how much they see various parts of the U.S. as sacrifice zones that they just like don't have to give a shit about so um, they're talking about like different facilities that they've shut down and things that they do or don't have to disclose greenhouse gas emissions on anymore so they said um, Pernus, the site in the Netherlands, will be an interesting one to watch. It's right there in the motherland where we are most sensitive and our reputation is mixed. The other pattern to notice is where we do own high greenhouse gas intensive things. It's in areas where they aren't that politically sensitive about such matters. China, Singapore, Malaysia, and Louisiana. So... I just, I'm like, wow, the fact that they're just like, oh, we need to worry about how people in the Netherlands perceive us, but we don't really need to worry about it in these Asian countries or in Louisiana. Mm. Yeah. I just like, <sighs> yeah. So they're just saying it out loud. They're totally saying it out loud. Yeah. The other really interesting thing in these documents was Exxon talking well a exxon saying you know to other oil companies like hey let's not say too much about how we're gonna like cut our emissions in line with the paris climate accord because <laughs> they're like just because we agree with the just because we've said that we support paris doesn't mean like we're gonna do anything about it <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, it was a passive support. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that is they have all of these things uh, where they're planning out different um, advertisements and they're being really careful about what they can and can't say in them, right? And they're talking about the algae biofuels and carbon capture and storage. And they're basically like just repeating over and over and over again, like these things are not – like ready there won't be like these just be careful because like these things won't really be you know effective for like decades (laughs) so yeah i also saw in your your literal climate bay had a set of hearings jamie raskin about what the fossil fuel companies are doing to silence activists. Um, Amy, should I be scared? Um, I mean, I think that, like, they are working really hard to just make it harder to to be a climate activist, period. Mm-hmm. It is actually quite scary. There's been a real increase in what they call slap suits. It's strategic litigation against public participation. So basically like anytime a corporation sues an individual or, or an organization and the intent of the suit is basically to stop them from like criticizing that company. So for example, in the wake of Standing Rock, energy transfer partners tried to sue Greenpeace and a bunch of individual protesters, and they actually used RICO to do it. They invoked the racketeering laws that were created to deal with the mob. The ones that got Al Capone sent to jail? The the very ones. Yes. So they're basically saying that, like, organizing a protest is organized crime. That is very concerning. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that got tossed out. Greenpeace litigated it and, you know, they won. So that's good. But I fully expect them to try that shit again. And it's very concerning. Very concerning. And then, you know, there's there's been no 
real slowdown to the the um, passage of these critical infrastructure laws where they're increasing the fines and jail time associated with, um, you know, trespassing and vandalization and, and stuff like that, with, like specifically around what they define as critical infrastructure, which is pipelines, but also power stations, railroads, yeah. highways, like anything, you know, it's, it's, it can be quite vague in some of these laws. So um, I think that right. those laws could be used to crack down on protests of any kind, really, you know, I think that they can be used to crack down of people, uh, like period, right? Because like, yeah. if I'm near oh, a yeah, pipeline, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm a, like a criminalized population, you know, like a black person, right. for example. Right. Just throwing right. that out. Um, yeah. And I happen to be near, a, you know, a pipeline. And I, yeah. you don't necessarily know when you're near a pipeline. You don't necessarily know when you're near something called criminal critical infrastructure. And that's right. You could just, you know, if you're part of a population that the cops want to lock up, period, these mm-hmm. laws can be weaponized against you, whether you're protesting or not. Yeah, like that's, that's right. honestly was super scary to me. That is absolutely right. Yes, yes, yeah. It's it's really really scary, and I I like I've seen you know of course there's been some good media coverage of this. Aline Brown, who we had on the show, she was on this like really early, back in I want to say 2017 when like the first of those laws was passed. Um, Steve Horn at Dsmog. Alex Kaufman at Huffington Post. Um, I've written about it a little mm-hmm. bit later than those folks, but um, yeah. At the like Intercept, it, right? At the Intercept, yeah. And so I feel like, you know, there's definitely been some coverage, but I, I still don't think people realize just how many of these things there are and, and like what the, the intent is, which is a, yeah. a pretty massive erosion of civil rights. Um, yeah. I should I should also note that everyone's favorite reformed environmentalist Michael Schellenberger was a witness at the the oversight hearing on climate disinformation <laughs> and yeah I, I heard that on your episode of drilled that he was there oh my god yeah he's really something yeah yeah <laughs> wait so Raskin wants to introduce federal anti-slap uh, that's measures, right. Right. That's right. So yes. talk, talk to me about what that is and what that could mean. So that's actually really good because right now anti-slap statutes exist in 31 states. Uh, I think it's 30 states include and then the District of Columbia. So 31 jurisdictions. Um, and these are, are things that allow for people who are targeted with a slap suit to kind of get them dismissed without too much effort and money spent. Because that's the thing is like that a lot of like the goal with these things is not just to intimidate, but also to really like tie up your time and resources for a significant Mm -hmm. amount of time, right? So like, if you're busy fighting a court case, then you can't be out there protesting or whatever, right? So there are statutes on the books in a bunch of, of states that allow you to file, you know, an anti-slap claim and have a fairly quick hearing and get a slap suit dismissed. But it's very easy for companies to just sort of venue shop and go to a state that doesn't have one of those. For example, in that case I mentioned with Energy Transfer Partners and Greenpeace, they filed their suit in federal court because they wanted to use RICO. And when that got tossed, they went and filed a state claim in North Dakota because North Dakota does not have an anti-slap statute. So that litigation is actually ongoing. Um, it doesn't, that version of the case doesn't invoke RICO because RICO is a federal law. So you can't really bring those in state court. But um, but it does make a lot of the same claims and is trying to massively fine Greenpeace and several activists. Um, and who knows what will happen in that case. So anyway, Raskin was like, you know, there should at least be a federal anti-slap statute so that everybody has the ability to, to like, quickly deal with these. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been introduced. And I don't know, I, I kind of could see it passing because it's it usually has bipartisan support, in part because companies actually have started to use anti-slap themselves. <laughs> so. Right. I was reading that in your piece on 
the intercept and yes yes what a just feels like okay so no one else gets to have that protection but you do yeah yeah like exxon actually just used it in massachusetts they were um there's a an active fraud case against them there and the very last appeal they had was this anti-slap thing where they they basically tried to make the argument that like the attorney general like that the, the attorney general's fraud case against them was a slap suit and it didn't work, okay. but I'm sure that that won't stop them from trying it again. And, and it probably will work at some point, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like how they say that, um, you know, corporations are people. It's more like they're big babies. Yes. Okay. I they expected big a bigger laugh. I expected a bigger laugh. <laughs> they are. You they want are me giant, to- whiny babies. Thank you. Um, you want me to yes. bring back the dad jokes, but then I throw a little lobster out there and you don't even go for it. Okay. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I failed. I failed. All right. We're going to talk about what's happening in the lead up to the next big international climate summit right after this quick break. Hot Take is brought to you by Blinkist. Blinkist helps you understand key insights from f- over 5,000 best-selling nonfiction books in just 15 minutes. Um, I like to read novels. I often have to read nonfiction books to get information out of them. And Blinkist is great for when you just want to get the the headlines. <laughs> um, right? I'm, sometimes I don't have time to read 1,000 pages. Um Now, they actually have launched a new feature in honor of their 10-year anniversary. It's called Blinkist Connect, and it's pretty great. It allows premium users to share their account with another person of their choice. So you basically get two premium accounts for the price of one. There's no extra cost for, for adding someone to your account. And it lets you easily share Blinks and these things called shortcasts that they do, which are basically like Blinks for podcasts. And you can add comments and thoughts to your recommendations. Hmm. So you can kind of like get a conversation going about stuff, which is... Yeah, it's cool. Kind of like, I guess, sharing articles online, too, but um, but a little bit meatier. I know I have um, recommended 1619 Project and Dark Money on there to people who I think could use the mm. information in both of those books and won't read them. Um, so... <laughs> um, or don't read in general, yeah. as we know some people don't like or to do. Some people don't have the time, to be fair. Uh, (laughs) Some people have too much brain fog to sit down with a book these days. (laughs) Or have the time. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's true. Fair enough. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for the Hot Take audience. You can go to Blinkist.com slash HT to start a free seven-day trial and get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash HT to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash HT. And now for a limited time, you can even use Blinkist Connect to share your premium account. You'll get two premium subscriptions for the price of one. Hot Take is brought to you by Karayuma. Between protesting the loss of our rights, canvassing for the midterms, and standing in line for Knives Out 2. What is that? It's a movie. Did you see Knives Out One? No. Why? Why are <laughs> Knives Out? Oh, I'm God. just learning that this exists, and you people are standing in line for it. Okay. Um, yeah. Or yeah. standing in line to say goodbye to uh, the Queen of England because apparently that oh, was geez. a big deal. Um, oh God. Oof. Yeah. But <laughs> the point is, we're all going to be on our feet a lot over the next few months. You're going to need some quality shoes. Fortunately, we've got just the thing. Crooked has launched a co-branded sneaker with one of our favorite sponsors, Karayuma, with two designs focused on the reminder that while we may be living through a meat grinder of a present, a better future is always possible. 
So choose from a clean white sneaker with the words No Steps Back or our patented I Voted sticker print. Like all of Karayuma's best-selling Akas, our collaborative low-top sneakers are made ethically and sustainably from organic cotton canvas, natural rubber, cork, and recycled plastics. Your pair plants two trees in the Brazilian rainforest through Karayuma's in-house ecological restoration program. Double the brands... Double the impact. A portion of the proceeds from these shoes and any item you buy from the Cricket Store goes to Vote Writers, the leading organization focused on voter ID. They inform citizens of their state's voter ID requirements and help them secure the documents they may need to vote. And you can support them by just by supporting your own arches and a comfortable pair of Cricket sneakers. See both designs and grab your perfect pair at Cricket.com slash kicks. All right, let's talk about some other stuff. Um, oh, my gosh. So did you hear the one about uh, Climate Week and John Kerry and Farhana Yamin? Oh, my God. John Kerry, speaking of big babies. Oh, yep. Yep. This was not his <laughs> finest hour. So John Kerry is the Biden administration's special climate envoy. Basically, he does the climate policy, but at the international scale. Um, and he was speaking at Climate Week. And he was confronted by uh, what? Not confronted. It wasn't. It wasn't confrontational. Uh, no. A woman in the audience by the name of Farhana Yamin, who's a very respected climate negotiator and expert, um, and woman, a uh, proud woman of the global south. She's from Pakistan. Uh, spoke up, and it didn't go very well, did it, Amy? No, it did not. As she very reasonably asked him, "Is the U.S. going to finally?" come through on its commitments to fund loss and damages and stop being an obstacle to uh, loss and damages conversations at the global level, which are very valid questions. Yep. And ones that America or that the U.S. has had a very long time to figure out a good answer to. These are not new questions. That's right. That's right. And let's just play a clip here of a a very annoyed John Kerry answering. Well, in all honesty, the most important thing that we can do is stop, mitigate enough that we prevent loss and damage. And the next most important thing we can do is help people adapt to the damage that's already there. And we have a limited, you know, we're not, you tell me the government in the world that has trillions of dollars, because that's what it costs. So we're now trying to mobilize the trillions of dollars. And I'm not going to take a feeling guilty. I know Tony. Love him. But I'll tell you, I think, I think I've talked to enough people who are involved in this battle. And you can't just set up a facility in six weeks. Let's be serious about this. We've got to talk about how we're going to do it. How do you measure it? How do you allocate? What do you allocate? Where's the money coming from? You think this Republican Congress, where we couldn't get one vote for this legislation, is going to step up and do loss and damage? Good luck. So I'm, I'm in the zone of reality. Um, so, yeah, this was actually, like, we talked about this with, I think, I want to say it was David Wallace Wells and maybe also with Abram, this idea that, unfortunately, I think as there are more and more extreme weather events, the global north is going to use those as an excuse to not contribute to loss of damages. You know, like I think it's I really think that we're going to see more of this sort of isolationist like, you know, we've got our own shit to deal with, like stop making us feel guilty kind of attitude and and for him to like honestly for him to say that we have right now today 30 million people in Pakistan still unhoused from flooding and we have most of Puerto Rico still without power and you know just like this absolute global meltdown of things happening is just very very disheartening Yikes. Yeah. And it, it's like 
So the goal of getting the IRA done or some climate legislation done was so that we could go into COP, um, so the United States could go into COP with some sort of negotiating power. But if this is how you're going to talk to people on the front lines of the climate crisis, when, you know, Pakistan is a third of the country is underwater right now. And if you're going to say to someone, you know, speaking up from that perspective that you refuse to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like, now is not the time to be defensive. No, exactly. And also, the United States and multiple other, you know, global North countries agreed years ago, like 2008, 2009, to put money in this friggin' fund. There was supposed to be $100 billion a year available to Global South countries. Yeah. By 2020, there was supposed to be a fund that had $100 billion a year in it available to Global South countries for the purposes of adaptation and transitioning away from fossil fuels. Not a single country has actually fulfilled their commitment to doing that. And... You know, then then like we're seeing the incredible need for that. And oh, also, at some point along the way, <laughs> Global North countries started saying like, yeah, we know we said that that was that fund was going to be like for grants, but actually it's more of like a loan. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Like, go fuck mm-hmm. yourselves. You know, I just, I just like, I I, I don't know. I I had a conversation today with a lawyer in Guyana who's working on some cases there. And she was like, she was talking about Norway and how Norway has a a trillion dollar sovereign wealth fund, right? And that it's very proud of. And she said, that's not a wealth fund. That's a debt that they owe the world because that's oil money. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, yes. Yes. Like all of this money that is just sitting in people's accounts from oil is is basically a deferred debt that they owe. You know, like I just I don't understand why no single company or country has been required to pay for the damage that they have caused to other countries. Mm. It It's not even like that. It's not that complicated. Yeah. Instead, Norway goes around the world like picking and choosing little forestry projects that it wants to invest in and then patting itself on the back for being a global leader in sustainability. Go fuck yourselves. Like, I just, (laughs) I am so fucking sick of it. It's just, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's how I feel about it. (laughs) Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, we're what six weeks away from COP? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think, I think that, um, the you know, the idea that we're going to see progress on a loss and damages conversation at COP seems unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I know that a lot of people feel like you know, COP is really important. It seems to me the most important part of COP is people from the global south being able to confront people from the global north about you know the the injustices and the disparities of it. And if this is how John Kerry's already reacting to those sorts of you know that type of accountability, then I don't know. I don't know what to expect in Egypt. I know. I know. And, you know, uh, I just, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, it's really hard. For, it's hard for me to feel like the 27th time is going to do the trick on, yeah. on any of this this sort of, like, international climate policy stuff. But, yeah, I do think it's important for, for Global South people to have a voice. I do, I do think it's important for these loss and damages conversations to happen, but... I just it it troubles me that that um you know I don't know it just honestly like it just I'm just like oh oh cool another rich white guy who's like stop making me feel guilty like I just I can't I don't if you feel guilty it's because you fucking are guilty right so do something about it 
Like, I can't stop you from feeling guilty if you refuse to actually take control of, you know, to take responsibility for your actions. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. Um, And also going into COP, um, it's not just going to be about the U.S. It's also going to be about Europe. You know, which people often leave out of these conversations because Europe's not seen as like the big historical emitter that it absolutely is. And also Europe has been scrambling to secure more fossil fuel stores rather than focusing on clean energy solutions, especially in light of the war in Ukraine. And, you know, they're on the outs with Russia and all the the gas. So, yeah. 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 I know. I mean, again, I think that that we're going to hear a lot of like now's not the time to worry too much about new fossil fuel developments, you know, and and like the the situation in Europe is going to be used to to do that. However, I do have to say that there are individual European countries that are responding to the gas crisis by really quickly investing in renewables. The EU has said that it plans to raise its target for emissions reductions, but it looks like that might not happen in time for COP. But if it happens this year, that's good. And then Denmark actually um, just became the first EU country to agree to pay loss and damages. Oh, really? So that is a very big deal. However, however, little bit of a star next to this because they are also currently breaking ground on a massive new fossil fuel project. Are they now? Where is that project, though? In Denmark. But yeah, so I'm just like, like you can't you can't say like you're going to pay into this fund while continuing to do the thing that caused the damage in the first place. That doesn't work. So something is something is rotten in Denmark. Something is rotten in Denmark. Turns out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been waiting to use that one all episode. Um. <laughs> Hot take is brought to you by Aspiration. Mary, did you know that most banks invest the deposits that you have in them in fossil fuel projects? I did know that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's gross. To be honest, I feel guilty about the fact that I have a bank account that does this and I have been meaning to switch and I I just need to to go go ahead and do it. No comment. Um, I know. (laughs) It's really bad. It's bad. Um, But yes. Banks lend your deposits out, and in some cases, they do that to fund oil and coal. So if you're as concerned about that as as we are, you can switch to the planet side and get Aspiration. Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative to big banks. You can get an account and debit card that are built to help your wallet and the planet. Aspiration is fossil fuel-free. They do not lend money to fossil fuel companies. So that's good. And you plant a tree by rounding up every swipe of your debit card. Aspiration's been hard at work helping people align their money with their values, funding the planting of over 100 million trees. They're on their way to funding the planting of a billion trees by 2030. Support for a hot take comes from the Southern Environmental Law Center and its podcast, Broken Ground. In the latest season, Listener's Journey to Boxtown, Tennessee, a black neighborhood on the edge of Memphis, tucked into a bend of the Mississippi River. This community has a rich history and its residents cherish their deep ties to the land. Here, people young and old, hailing from all corners of the city and beyond, came together to fight the environmental injustices and threats to their quality of life posed by a controversial crude oil pipeline. In the course of telling this story, Broken Ground uncovers the stories of the community who pushed back against the project through grassroots organizing, legal advocacy, and unwavering determination. 
find out how a crude oil pipeline went from imminent to canceled from the people on the front lines. Listen to their story in the latest season, now available wherever you get your podcasts or stream it directly at brokengroundpodcast.org. Cricket is bringing you the election coverage you love to hate with Cricket Radio every weekend in October on Sirius XM Progress and on the Sirius XM app. Join our lineup of podcast hosts, candidates, experts, and more, including Hot Take, as we break down the issues that matter this November. Dive into the conversations shaping our current political climate and give the only 100% correct opinions in politics. You don't want to miss this. Subscribe now and get up to four months free of SiriusXM. See offer details at SiriusXM.com slash crooked. But there's also, there's more going on in Europe, correct? Correct. Um, yes. So there's, the queen died and there's this new prime minister and she doesn't think that climate change is real or that we should do anything about it. Liz Truss really just doesn't seem to be on the right side uh, of history or no, even the yeah. present or the recent past. Just a, a terrible, terrible person. The absolute like worst possible leader for for the UK at this time. They are focused on increasing, you know, oil drilling, trying to get everything they can out of the North Sea as a response to this, you know, gas crisis in Europe. She has multiple key advisors who are not just like known to be climate skeptics, but are like the big like leaders of the climate skeptics, you know, like they're just, just ridiculous. And then she also, I mean, she campaigned on this thing that like she was going to cut taxes and she has done that, but she's basically done it in a way where it only really benefits like the, the literal like top, you know, 2,500 people in the UK. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. She's awful. Oh, Awful. gosh. Yep. Okay, so that's terrible. She's, like, kind of coming from Maggie Thatcher, right? Oh, yeah. She's definitely cut by the same cloth. She also is, like, to to help lower people's household expenses, she has uh, said that she's going to cap energy prices. So that will help with at least... You know, some uh, of people's skyrocketing energy bills, because as we heard from Akshat recently, those have been going up by many percent every month. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yes. Um, I, elsewhere yeah. in, in Europe, of course, we've got fascism. Fascism is taking hold in Europe. Yeah. Not, so not great. Italy got nostalgic for Mussolini and elected yeah. their first fascist prime minister since him, right? Yep, they sure did. She's a woman. Um. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's feminine uh, fascism. Yeah. Feminacism. It's true. It's true. Yeah. She is um, the leader of the Brothers of Italy party. That is the right-wing fascist party in in Italy. Um, She's anti-immigrant, anti-LGBTQ, anti-abortion. They they had a record low voter turnout, so that's a giant bummer. Um, uh, The very slight silver lining is that her coalition did not get a supermajority, so that means that they can't just, like change the constitution or make massive legal changes yes um, the way that they could if they did have that but yeah it's it's scary it's very yeah scary. i don't know i just feel like you don't put a fascist into office and be like yeah but don't worry we've got these guardrails in place because Correct. as we all know how that goes that yes. doesn't go the way you think it's gonna go you start finding out a whole bunch of shit you thought was a law was a norm you yep, know exactly. we've been there we were just there we're still there. We're just there. We're still We're there. Still, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's concerning. And then also in Sweden, they mm-hmm. they went hard, on a hard right, right? Yeah, they did. They did. So um, this was really interesting that, that basically, you know, the Social Democrats always win in Sweden, and they won this time too, and that's fine. Um, however... 
they only got 40% of the government, not, you know, more than 50. And part of that is because there's a smaller, more liberal party that rejected kind of doing a coalition with the Social Democrats, uh, which opened the door for a government formed by the conservative Block, which only captured about 20% of the vote, but like because of the way the government is structured there, have suddenly got a lot of of power. These are known as Democrats in Sweden, but they're Nazis. They are are a center-right populist party that is run on a platform of being tough on crime and immigration. They have a history of being you know, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, anti-Indigenous. They actually came out of a, like, fully, you know, loud and proud neo-Nazi group. Mm. It's really disturbing. It's really, really disturbing. Um, Oh, and, and of course, their slogan is, Sweden will be great again. (laughs) What accent was that? That was my attempt at a Swedish person speaking English. (laughs) (laughs) You sounded like the Terminator. You sounded like the Terminator. Uh, Um, But I was just going to say, I'm old enough to remember when everybody on the left idolized everything in Europe, especially Sweden and Switzerland. Well, they have this. Why can't we have this here? And it's like, yeah, have you noticed they're all white? And also, you know, I'm old enough to remember when people thought that all the neo-Nazis and Nazis <laughs> online were just trolling. They didn't realize right. that they were real people. And that was very recently. That the whole idea very... of don't feed the troll is, and nobody really means that. Now they're over here taking over whole ass continents. So, yeah, maybe should have took it serious. Do you remember, like, just a few years ago when, like, people so didn't take the Nazi threat seriously that they were doing articles on, like, the sartorial choices of Nazis and, like, the haircuts of, like, the new fascists? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it's so, ugh. Yeah, I remember the Nazi Next Door articles, all Mm -hmm. of that shit, all Mm -hmm. of it, and I can't forgive it. Nope. So. Cannot. Nope. And, you know, we don't have time to get into it, but Brazil is about to go through another election and might re, you know, Jair Bolsonaro has got some really horrible ideas about how to hang on to power. So. (sighs) I know. It'll be very interesting to see both what happens in the vote and then if he How he reacts. How he reacts. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. Yep. All right. So normally we do a billionaire burn, uh, mm-hmm. but we're not actually going to burn this billionaire because I think this billionaire is not a billionaire anymore, right? He has rejected being a billionaire, yes. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> yes. it's going to be more of like a billionaire blurb. Billionaire blurb, 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 blurb. Billionaire blurb. Billionaire blurb. Blurb. Bill Yonder. Blurb. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So. So. If you have been living under a rock or just don't read climate Twitter. Or or if you have shit to do. Have shit to do. That's true. You might not have heard that the founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Schwinnard, decided that he did not want to be a billionaire anymore. Um, He created a new trust and a nonprofit that will ensure that the profits that he would normally make from Patagonia are used to fight climate change. So he basically was like, I don't want to make any money from this company anymore. I want anything that I would have normally made or my family would normally made to go into this. Um, trust for for fighting climate change. So he transferred 98% of shares to this newly formed collective. According to GQ, the Schwinards will pay $17.5 million in gift taxes on those donated shares. However, there's there's a slight, like, you know, maybe a slight, like... Trapdoor. Old, yeah, like a slight, like, hold your praise for a moment thing. Mm. Um, yeah. 
I mean, he is more worthy of praise than these really splashy climate billionaires like Elon Absolutely. Musk and Jeff Bezos. Um, and my my favorite thing about Yvonne is that he's kind of been coming for the Elons and Jeff Bezos of the world for quite some time. So he really has. He really has. So so basically, um, Bloomberg reported that his family still keeps control of the company and that. Schwinnard won't have to pay capital gains taxes, which he would have had to do had he sold the company. However, he's also not getting the capital gains from, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, but like, that's kind of the whole point. Like he's saying, I don't want this money. Um, so I don't know. I, it's like, I, I feel like people are so jaded and cynical that they like saw this and wanted to be like, but he's still terrible, you know? And I'm like, okay, look, I'm sure that, like, he is not a perfect person, but, like, yeah. this is still a pretty big deal. Yeah. And it's still, like, a path that I would love to see more billionaires go down. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if this influences other billionaires who want to have climate cred. Yeah. You know, like, I, I will be really interested to see, like, well, the best way to be a good billionaire is to stop being a billionaire, is to give that money away. That's right. And so yeah. this seems like a very good step in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Just to compare, Microsoft <laughs> Microsoft founder Bill Gates this year uh, vowed to drop off the world's richest list. Um, because he made a $20 billion donation to his philanthropic fund. However, he's basically been saying that he's going to give all of his wealth away to charity since 2010, and his net worth has more than doubled since then. So, you know, yeah. at least at least uh, Yvonne Schwinnard is putting his money where his mouth is, you know. He like did it before he told everybody about it, which is is good. Good thing yeah. to do. Yeah. 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 I hope it sets a precedent and I hope it starts a trend. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Still not going to wear Patagonia vest, though. I I don't wear Patagonia. <laughs> like, I'm, I can't. They don't close. I can't find one that actually fits. They don't have enough stretch to them. Yeah. Sorry. But you know what? That's OK. I, li- I still like that they gave their money away. <laughs> I love that they gave their money away. I love that. So we're going to actually end this week on a rare bit of good news. Yeah. We're going to savor this. Hold on to it because there's so much other shitty shit in the world. It's true. It's true. All right. That's a good place to leave. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hot Take is a Crooked Media production. It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jules Bradley. Our music is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Thamali Kodakara is our consulting producer. And our executive producers are Mary Anais Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt. Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support and to Amelia Montooth for digital support. You can follow the show on Twitter at Real Hot Take, sign up for our newsletter at hottakepod.com, and subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.